This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to Talking TV, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, Broadcast launches a campaign to back the BBC. We'll explain why and how right here. Also on the programme, we'll hear about The Hoff and his new show for Dave, Hoff the Record. And finally, we'll have previews of ITV gadget format Big Box Little Box and The John Bishop Show on BBC One. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Uh, joining me in the studio is broadcast editor Chris Curtis and Stephen D. Wright, entertainment producer extraordinaire. How's that for a welcome? Perfect. I, was, I, was, I wanted a bit bigging up this can week. I, can, can, I be, extraordinaire. Yeah. can I be broadcast editor extraordinaire? <laughs> well, you're not really, are you? No. Yeah. I was just trying to lighten your Very mood, Very ordinaire. I, thought, I, I think each time you come on, I'm going to yeah. do a grander entrance. I'm waiting till, the, till we get to the phrase legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> broadcast entertainment legend. Mm-hmm. Should, we, should we get down to business? Let's mm-hmm. go. First up is broadcast campaign of qualified support for the BBC as it gears up for charter renewal later this year. This week, the great and the good of the UK production sector have thrown their weight behind the cause as some of the industry bids to ensure that Auntie receives a fair licence fee deal and that charter renewal is transparent and open. Uh, Supporters include all three media, Fremantle, Avalon and loads more besides. In fact, 50 in total. Uh, Chris, why is Broadcast doing this? Uh, Because we felt that somebody needed to, really. The BBC is in a precarious situation i would say going into the license fee and negotiations and and charter renewal it has many many vocal detractors and it has in our mind a lot of much quieter supporters what broadcast is trying to do is be a forum for the industry um, and we've started off with the the production community and there'll be other parts of the industry coming through but be a forum for the industry to share its experiences, uh, debate the the pros and cons of the BBC, but fundamentally um, offer uh, a message of, of support which tells the government, the new culture secretary, Ofcom, anyone who's, who's, who's interested really, that the strength of the BBC, its value to the wider British economy, creative industries and sort of cultural life is vast and that if you undermine the BBC during licence fee negotiations or charter renewal, then there will be repercussions that you might not fully have thought through. And I guess we're sort of emphasising the word qualified to some extent, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, look, broadcast is, we want to, you know, we are independent, we value that independence, and I'd be lying if I said that uh, we weren't slightly concerned that people might look at this and think, well, we've, you know, jumped into bed with the, the BBC. But it's a qualified support. There are plenty of people, we've got pieces this week written by John Thoday and Jimmy Marvel, who are going hammer and tongs to try and um, reverse the, the BBC Three decision at the moment. But they're still in a position to um, uh, express their support for the broader BBC, you know, its purposes, what it does, and, and, and that it should be well well funded. And it's perfectly possible, in my mind, to have a broad position of support as well as be a forum for debate about strategy um, that the BBC's um, going down. A critical friend, if you like. A critical friend, yeah. The BBC's favourite kind. (laughs) Stephen, you're a producer. 
I'm a producer, and what it, I come am, on, give us your honest take on this. Well, I mean, it's, it's about time. Basically, somebody <laughs> needed to stand up and say, "You're too kind." Well, it's true that somebody needed to stand up and say, "You know, stop pissing around, stop beating up the BBC." Every day, there are anti-BBC stories, which are spurious rubbish. There was one in the mail them. yesterday. Did you see it? There was one about Kim Schillinglaw yesterday, which is complete nonsense. Oh, really? I missed that one. What oh, that? that's today's uh, Mail Online, and it's just it's saying that she commissioned a show that her husband was an exec on. It's like, who cares? You know, this is not FIFA. You know, BBC is not FIFA. The BBC is like the NHS. You know, they're, they're attacking it when it should be saved. It should be supported. It's a huge lumbering beast and it needs a bit of help, but it needs our support. It, you know, what it does is it keeps the TV world going. It's the, you know, it's the centre of the TV world. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, whether people uh, disagree with it or whatever, but you should support it. This is the thing about the BBC. It's, it's more good than bad. It's always more good than bad, vastly more good than bad. You know what I mean? It's like there's very little you can you can do to slag the BBC off other than say sometimes it's a bit too big or cumbersome or whatever. But the, what it what it's achieving is phenomenal. And if and if you lost that, we would be bereft. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's coming through quite early on in the campaign is um, uh, the independent production community uh, flagging up the it, the BBC's relative global standing and the fact that their peers who operate in other countries around the world look on with envy at the at the BBC um, and there's a kind of a sense that um, it's perverse how much of a hard time the BBC gets in the UK when the rest of the world um, holds it in such high esteem. Yeah, I mean it is right that the BBC is held held to account though, isn't it? I mean, the words in our pledge are transparent, accountable, and efficient. The BBC gets its knickers in a twist all the time. It, it, you know, it does. It finds itself in a situation where it wastes a hundred million pounds on DMI, or it's offering huge, huge payoffs and massive pension pots um, to long-standing staff. It's not as though these things are, are, you know, to be excused or to be overlooked. They absolutely need, you know, as an organisation, needs to be held held to account. But um, Stephen's point is a good one. Vastly more good than bad. And I think that there, you, you know, if you think about the success of the indie sector um, since the terms of trade and since 03, a good proportion of that is down to the BBC. You could perfectly well argue that actually that it's the, the BBC, um, the quality of output on the BBC is the thing that um, puts pressure and helps raise the bar for ITV, for Channel 4. I mean, Sky's moving to original content. They're starting to spend all, the, all, all that money. They're, they're doing it in part because they, they want to be seen to be competing with the corporation, that, that, that their content can stand shoulder to shoulder. And, and that in itself is a testament to the BBC. Uh, so we've started with producers this week. Tell us a little bit about how the campaign will evolve from here. Yeah, so we're going to move through over a period of, of, of weeks. Production communities sort of had this said this week, and we're hoping to follow that up. You know, we're hoping more people, more organisations, more companies will come on board over the next few days and express their their views. Um, next week, we're going to have a look at craft um, and particularly um, uh, sort of writers, directors, um, named individuals, people who are responsible for making uh, great television um, and uh, hear their thoughts on the, the corporation. Then we're going to move through, we're going to look at news and journalism um, and we're going to look at um, different organisations, we're going to look, um, uh, move through uh, ultimately to some on-screen talent as well, we, we, you know, we hope um, actors, presenters, pundits, experts um, for them to have their view because uh, fundamentally we believe there is this great untapped sort of reservoir of latent support 
for the BBC. And what broadcast is trying to do is not whip this up. It's not it's not become a cheerleader for the BBC. It's simply bring it together in one place and and show it off, really, and say to the powers that be, anyone put anyone who cares to listen, look, there's all this strength of feeling and you should take it into account. Are you going to sign up, Stephen? I'm there. Founder member. Good. Pledging my life. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't lay my life down for Channel 4, not not the moment, or ITV, but BBC, yeah, I'm there. Different matter. Okay. Well, it's, you know, it's, the BBC's like the NHS. You've got to support it. It's part of what we are. It is the foundation of everything else. It's, it's as simple as that. Fantastic. Well, look, you can read our pledge uh, online. Uh, and if you want to sign up, head to broadcastnow.co.uk forward slash backing the BBC. Uh, there's also a section on there called Sign the Pledge, uh, where you can put your name to our statement of support and uh, have your own say as well. Moving on, also in the news this week, uh, we'll stick with the BBC briefly. Never mind the Buzzcocks being axed. Poor old Buzzcocks. <laughs> Farewell. I've, I've heard mixed things on this. Well, it's, Some people I mean, saying it's out of its misery, others... It's, it is a bit. Yeah. It, the last series was, was a little bit um, underperforming. I mean, under par, really, I suppose. It was okay, but it felt a bit like a retread of the kind of glory years. And that kind of fine line tonally between abuse and amusement... Uh, you know, which which uh, Simon Amstel did so well, and Mark Lamar didn't really. Um, started to get a little bit fuzzy again, and and Rod Gilbert, I don't think he did himself any favours because he didn't really shine in it. He always felt it always felt a bit like, oh, I wish Simon Amstel was back. You know what I mean? And when a show starts to sort of sag, then you know, put it out of its misery. Absolutely. Yeah, it's given us some great moments, though, hasn't it? It's sent. We were, we've been reminiscing in the office. We've been reminiscing in the office. Yeah. Um, I was forced to pop onto YouTube when I should have been doing some more productive work <laughs> to watch Preston oh, yeah. uh, from the Ordinary Boys storm out because Simon Amstel. Uh, I mean, I had a bit of sympathy for Preston given that um, his wife was being absolutely ripped by Simon Amstel. But, that, you know, that, as Stephen said, the tone of it. And it has been a great, great panel show over these. Was it, is its time up? Probably. You can make a good case. I wonder if they've got anything as good or anything better to come through. Well, they're saying it, more, it shouldn't, yeah, but it shouldn't be seen as, oh, it's, you know, this is, it's, it's failed. It's run for 28 years. Yeah. Uh, 28, 28 years, sorry. 28 <laughs> series. There you go. That's poison slip. 28 series is is a triumph. You know what I mean? It is, it is a legendary programme. We can all talk about the moments. It changed uh, the, the kind of relationship with pop and uh, mm-hmm. on TV and, and, it's, and we, we now live in a post-Buzzcocks world. You know what I mean? Things like the return of TFI next week or whenever it comes mm-hmm. out is, is very much... They all have taken that tone or they'll play with that tone. So, no, it's absolutely right. You know, it's, it, it's had its day. Bring on the next one. Bring on the next stuff. You know, the, the, this is the awful thing about telly. You've got to kill your babies to get the next lot on. It's like you, there's only so many slots. And and you know there is a bit of a, a bit that it's what's next what's what's new what's coming next hopefully it's, not another panel show though well no exactly I mean you know I think we're probably those, a bit a little bit panel fatigue <laughs> I I'm I'm a bit of a eight out of ten does countdown uh, sort of fan and I still think that if you get it right and get the chemistry right uh, it can be brilliant I'm less keen on the kind of um, you know slightly humorous parlor game kind of uh, t- a part of the, the, the panel show side of things. But I don't know, you know, let's see. Let's see if someone's got a great idea to reinvigorate yeah, the genre. Okay. Please, that's all. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to Sky briefly, uh, which this week launched a European arts commissioning and production hub in Milan. Chris, tell us about this a little bit. Uh, so this is a example of uh, what Sky can now do, given it's the enlarged company. 
So Sky Italia, Sky Deutschland, um, and what we call used to call B Sky B, and that you know all together in one place called Sky. It's now a vast, vast organisation with tens of millions of customers across, across the continent, and they're trying to flex their their muscles a little bit. And we've seen um, already in the UK they've they've merged Sky Arts One and Sky Arts Two. They're trying to give that a bit more oomph, um, and they're trying through this hub to. Um, create content which really cuts through that has scale and ambition you know it's exactly it's it's sky's template for for content really which is not to do lots and lots of things that are pretty good it's to do a handful of things that really make make some noise um, and big opportunities you know more money out there for people to come up with great ambition it's open to third parties indies can 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 pitch to to win the money to use the facility to make programming um, we shall see whether they can come up with a kind of, I don't know, a pan-European South Bank show or something that really has has access to the biggest and, and best talent. What do you make of this? Euro pudding or something that's quite exciting? Not sure. I mean, I like the, 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 the ambition of it, but the, 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 you know, the problem with a pan-European anything is the cultural sensibilities start to kind of uh, float away. Um, Sky Arts has got quite a nice, uh, strong identity. You know, I don't know what... Italian infused anything will will help with that. If it if if the if the if the Milan hub is going to be for events, which are sort of pan European in in by definition, then fine. But a documentary series that will appeal to Germans, Italians, and the English, ooh, I mean that's a bit scary. And I don't know. This I think that's going to be the challenge. I mean, you know, I, I'm all I'm all for more business. I'm all for more open doors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we should be a bit more pan European in Britain, which we're not. Um, but I remember working at MTV years ago, 20-odd years ago, when there was one when we were a global MTV. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they ended up by splitting it all back up and making it MTV UK, MTV Germany, MTV whatever, because there were different sensibilities, and you can't just speak to Europe. You know, we're not one person. So there will be a, sort of an artistic challenge here. But it does sound good. It sounds interesting. And the more, you know, the more the merrier, really. But it's, let's see, let's wait and see. And just finally, quickly on Sky, Chris, mm-hmm. um, Gary Davy talking in broadcast this week, saying that they're going to now buy US drama, uh, general entertainment uh, as, a, as a group, as a European group now, aren't they? Which is reasonably interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly going to try to. I mean, there's always been a resistance, I think, from the US studios. And it's the same with sports rights holders as well people if you own something you want to kind of sell it in as many distinct territories as you can to maximize the money that you can you can take for that product those days are start that's starting to be chipped away a little bit you know netflix coming in and operating in so many different territories shows kind of direction of travel i think that it's a perfectly sensible thing for sky to do uh, and i think probably the studios will 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 sort of come round to it more buying power you know, yeah. and, and, and if Sky needs that. <laughs> it, well, I mean, you're right. Sky's a huge operation already, but 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 scale, you know, is that one of the buzzwords at the moment, isn't it? For 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 everything, and um, every time the Premier League auction comes around, there's the rumor, oh, YouTube is going to bid, or Google's going to kind of bid, and we are surely, I would think, in the, in the next few years, going to get into that kind of world, and that's where I think if you really want to secure the highest end content, you do need to be a big boy with um, very deep pockets. And they might be looking at Muppets, which you're very excited about. So maybe bring, that maybe that will be on Sky One soon. Bring on the Muppets. Bring on the Muppets. <laughs> okay, that's your news for this episode. Thanks to Chris and Stephen.
Up next, he's been trading off Knight Rider and Baywatch since the 80s, but David Hasselhoff's career is set to get a fresh shot in the arm. Yes, the Hoff is preparing to land on Dave for Hoff the Record, a mockumentary that has been compared to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Produced by the Moaning Life of Indie, Me and You Productions, the show follows Hasselhoff as he tries to resurrect his career in the UK. And Dave likes what it sees, so much so that the UK channel has already ordered a second series. In a moment, a trio of guests will join me to discuss the series, but first, here's a flavour of what you can expect. David is met at the airport by his new UK team, including his driver, Terry Patel. This clip features a bit of strong language, so cover your ears if you're easily offended. Um, do you mind if I ask you a question, Mr. Hoff? Go ahead. Did you ever shag Pamela Anderson, or is she the world's biggest prick tease? No, Terry, it would have been extremely unprofessional to have sex with any of the Baywatch cast. I mean, that's just highly unprofessional. I did not have sex with anyone in the Baywatch cast. Fucking hell, Hoff, you got that banter on lock, mate. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, lad. (laughs) 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 Presumably you've seen that a few times, guys. It still makes you laugh. It's funnier because you can imagine his face doing it. (laughs) Okay, so um, the people you can hear around me are uh, Ian Coyle, uh, UK TV commissioning editor, and uh, me and you production execs, um, Chris Majumda and Richard Yee. Welcome all. Thank you, uh, thank you for being with us. So, can we just start with the show's inception? How did you get to know the half? How did you convince him to do it? I mean, we've been making an idiot abroad in the morning of life for a few years, and we're looking for a project to follow that up with—a kind of a, a different project that was slightly more in the kind of comedy world. And we, we kind of wanted to do a mockumentary because we came from a more of a kind of documentary background, and we were looking for a kind of a kind of celebrity to kind of whose life we could use as a basis for it and kind of spin off from it so we kind of started thinking about celebrities that you know with a kind of rich kind of backstory that we could kind of um have a bit of fun with so you did you approach yeah we just approached him through yeah yeah, we just approached him through his agent and then he was his management in la and then he was in he was in london so we we met him and we pitched him the idea he was up for it and then um we went to BBC and BBC Worldwide, got some money to make a taster tape. BBC, for whatever reason, they were, I thought there were quite a few shows in a similar vein in terms of episodes with Joey from Friends. Sorry, it's not Joey. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc, <laughs> Matt LeBlanc <laughs> from Friends and The Trip. But uh, BBC Worldwide, um, who are the distributors and were brilliant, and they put us up in touch with Dave. And they went from there. So, yeah, so they did, had, we you, had a tape. You originally pitched it to BBC Two, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Sh- Shane Allen gave us some money along with BBC Worldwide yeah. to make a tape. The tape was brilliant. It's, it's really funny. It had some of the people who were in the first episode and that tape, you know, they put us together with uh, with Dave. So, Ian, <laughs> talk us through that first conversation well, when, when this was pitched to To be you. honest with you, it, the tape just arrived almost up the blue and uh, me and um, Steve North, the GM of Dave, got the tape uh, on a, in our mailboxes almost simultaneously and we both opened it at the same time and it, it's kind of it was almost a romantic moment where our eyes met after we'd watched it and we both went <laughs> oh my god that is mental uh, you know immediately we all just scrambled uh, and you know every we got everybody to watch it and just went this is this is just amazing and you know it, it, and for us it, it just takes us into a different 
you know, you know, I've been at UKTB for two years, and Dave has has you know expanded astonishingly in that period of time. But this felt like a like a even you know bigger step, a new step. Uh, um, and it's you know, it's an, I think it's just an incredible, br- incredibly brave bit of telly. I really do. I think and incredibly brave thing for the Hoff to do. I think it is. You know, he, I mean, for, for Dave to take the punt on it as well yeah. for kind of you know an idea that no one really like. We had a great tape. But yeah. in terms of seeing where it could go, it had lots of potential. But it was, you know, I think Dave had been great well, and, and kind I'd of like backing us and letting us make the show we wanted. I'd like to think we're getting a reputation for doing quite brave things and and actually to give creative people their head. And, um, you know, that, that it was, uh, admittedly, it was one of the best tapes, artist tapes I've ever seen. And, you know, we watched it over and over again. And I love, I, I even watch it again now. It's, it's a brilliant bit, of, you know, brilliant tape. And, um, I, you know, it's astonishing that, to turn Bootsy 2 didn't go for it but there we are <laughs> Chris how fully formed was it from the start I think the idea we, we always knew what we kind of wanted to do with it and it was just to see if if the Hoff could pull it off and what's amazing about the Hoff is you don't you kind of forget he's an actor because he's been doing entertainment shows he's been doing Britain's Got Talent America's Got Talent and he's been appearing in cameos playing himself playing this character the Hoff but he hasn't done a kind of six-part, half-hour sitcom. <laughs> a show that, you know, shows his acting chops. And he said to me, well, you know, I am an actor. Yeah. It's just I haven't done it for, for a long time. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's been making money in... in ve- he's been in the entertainment world. But he can act. He can I, act. Yeah, I, I, was, that, I mean, that's the one thing yeah. that stuck with me really, you know, really strongly. I mean, obviously. It's an awful thing it, to say the, he can act. The laughs are good, but he, he, yeah. he does pull it off well. And it, it feels quite natural for him I, looking at it on screen. It, you know, I mean, he, we, fi- we filmed a lot and we spend a, 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 a huge amount of time in the edit kind of honing the performances. And we did really long takes. And, and there was a script, but we, you know, we did improvise bits of it as well. So, so talk us through that that sort of creative structure. Then there there is a script. Yeah, there is a script. I mean, we started off. The idea was it would be much more improvised than it that, than it became. So we were going to work from outlines, from treatments, and then improvise those. So we we knew exactly what the scenes were. We knew where we were going. We knew the beats to hit. And then during the kind of development process and coming towards the shoot we realised that the whole crew, and it became essentially a scripted comedy, that needed a script to work off. That's how you know comedy and drama works in terms of uh, the mechanics of it and, the, and having a big team. But then we still... The, the way we got to that script was a workshop process where we got the actors in and we had the treatments and we had, we had like the bare bones of a script. We got them to workshop it and we filmed it all and then the writers kind of moulded it together and we we came to a script but then even on the day there was room for improvisation and there was quite a lot of improvisation interesting way into it i imagine quite unusual or yeah, no, it, has it been it's, done it's before cool. yeah. i'm making a mike lee film with, with the star of baywatch <laughs> <laughs> well, weird thing is just come up in the workshop oh, really? i wonder if this is how mike lee does <laughs> the uh, weird thing was like on the second day of shoots uh chris rang me from the set and went oh yeah oh, wow great news um he gets it. He understands what's going. It's like, hold on, Chris. You've been you've been shooting for two days, <laughs> and you only just realise he gets it. Because with David, you don't. You know, he's an incredible man. You, but you don't. Because 
you know, it's a very funny, weird show, but it ain't that far away from his real life, you know. His life, you, you, he's a unique character. It's like walking along the road with the Queen. You know, he is... Um, multi-generationally massively famous it's it's mental you know everybody you, you know he's made for a selfie he's a he's a, he's a living walking selfie everybody. he's a big man as well i mean i saw yeah, him yeah. at the uk tv up fronts yeah. last year he's uh he's quite he's got quite a stature yeah. hasn't he yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah he's kind of like a real life cartoon character yeah. really you know he's yeah. and he's kind of you know he's lived that rule of the hoff for the last 25 years. Is, and I mean, what, Richard, is there a distinction between his on-screen persona and what he's like behind the camera? I mean, I think there's, there's the essence of Hoff is in his character and then with everything, you kind of, you know, it's a, you amp it up a little bit more and there's some, some aspects that are slightly different. But, you know, at his core, that is what, you know, Hoff is, Hoff is like. I mean, he said to me, oh, we can't walk down the street, I'll get mobbed. And I was thinking, oh, Oh, come on. Uh, I was like, <laughs> yeah. maybe not now. And we, we were filming in the street. That was in the taster. People were just streaming. It was near here, <laughs> streaming out of the offices, getting selfies. And I was like, God, he's, he's still got it. He's and still then, got it. Yeah. And, and he's been he's been great to work with him. He's got so much energy. He's a workaholic. He just wants to keep working all the time. But how, how far did you push it with him? Because obviously time, there are times when it's sort of genuinely quite close to the bone, the humour. Yeah. Just in that first episode that you watched, I think it was important that we addressed all the big kind of news stories about him so that it didn't seem that we were kind of scared of it. Because we really didn't want it to feel like a kind of vanity, a vanity piece. So that's why in that first episode we kind of... We go there with you know the scene about the Berlin Wall and about the burger. Yeah, you know Pamela Anderson. It's just like let's you know like, brush you know, those all buttons. This, yeah, <laughs> but, but and the then get it out the way, and then we the, can move on. But for the rest of the series, we don't really let him off the hook in terms of the second episode. He's involved in this kind of um, sex scandal, this Twitter storm, making sexist comments. In the third episode, he, he he's doing a school debate uh, about you know about the UN, and he plagiarizes a Hitler speech. In the fourth episode, he's kind of kicked out of, uh, fails a kind of um, hostile environment training course. And the fifth episode, he goes to do a gig for a warlord uh, in this fictional country, Turkestan. And in the sixth episode, he's accused of kidnapping a child. So he's very happy sending himself up. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, like, Hoff keeps saying everything that, that's in the show has actually happened to me. <laughs> I don't know about the last one, but I mean, he yeah. has a dealings with warlords yeah <laughs> and, and Ian I mean obviously you like what you see it's quite unusual to order a second series before it's even been on air what made you arrive at that decision I think it's just the confidence about the quality of the programme being delivered and also you know we know it's going to make a noise and it's good and we want to tie in you know tie in for a second series you know we want we we just as fans of it we just want to see more you know it's because it's it's really great you know the um the the fictional Eastern European warlord episode. It's when you're funny that Richard was saying he's like a cartoon character. It's almost like an episode of Scooby Doo, but inappropriate at the same time. <laughs> it's 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 an extraordinary. It's a fantastic show. What what does success look like for this show for for Dave? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, we'd like to get two million people to watch it. That would be lovely. Um, but I think it's also it's it's not just about ratings. It's also about showing. It's about making a noise and showing the ambition of the channel and and the network. You know, we you know, 
we we like to think of ourselves, which you know, we're a major player now in in, in broadcasting in Britain, and uh, and I think this is an illustration of that. You know, we've got you know, there's a lot of other fantastic shows coming up in the summer, which I'm, I'm probably not allowed to talk about. But um, tell us, please. No, <laughs> no, no, no but um, uh, you know, it's I, I think it's a it was a it's been a, a process that you know the the way talent has uh, has escalated on uh, on Dave, especially. From the very early days, you know, bringing bringing st- uh, stuff uh, to the channel when, when Dara did his math show, and and then gradually, you know, we've got Dave Gorman, Ross Noble, um, Alan Davis now doing shows, and the Hoff is is part of the mix. part of the mix, and you know, and we're pushing forward with more stuff, you know. So, you know, our budgets and our and our ambition is, you know, I was saying it was the same as Channel Four and and BBC Two, but now sort of strangely seems more because you look at the graphs of all the other channels and the you know their viewership's going down dave in uk tv it's the complete opposite we're doing remarkably well uh, and i'm not trying to big it up it is it just feels like quite an exciting place to be at the moment you know? good and, and just finally <laughs> me and you obviously you've, you've made some interesting program with carl pilkington now now the half the reputation of the company is slowly building isn't it what, what what's next for you guys well we're hoping this series yeah. sells globally like you know idiot abroad and moaning of life and BBC Worldwide, there's a huge buzz about it in terms of international sales, so really hopeful. But we've got a really um, healthy slate of of stuff we're doing. We've just developed a, a comedy with Sarah Hadland called Born to Dance, which is created by Sarah Hadland and Richard Laxton, who's the BAFTA-winning director of Him and Her, and is di- he's the lead director on River, the new Abby Morgan drama. So it, that, that you pitch that in? Sorry? Have you pitched that into a channel? Uh, we have, and we're in discussions with BBC at the moment. Um, so that's really exciting. And Sarah's an extraordinary talent. She's she's brilliant. It's 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 set in a dance school, and Sarah plays various female characters within that dance school. So it's a bit like Summer Heights High meets Best in Show, set in Huddersfield. <laughs> nice, sounds good. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing what's next from both Dave and, and you guys. And all the best with Off the Record. I hope it goes well. Off the Record launches on Dave on the 18th of June. Finally, it's previews time. Back in the warm embrace of talking TV are Chris Curtis and Stephen D. Wright. Uh, we will start with Big Box, Little Box. Uh, no, it's not a confused dance move. It's ITV's attempt to tackle gadgets. Uh, there's more than a hint of Gogglebox about this. Families and friends give their verdict on high-tech gizmos by chatting to one another rather than to the camera. Uh, in this clip, three households are trying out a gadget that allows you to fry food at your table. Oh, this is so cool. I'd be very tempted to buy this. I think it looks fun. It's quite convivial for a dinner party. There's a whole social aspect to it that I, I think really it's like. It's the fondue party thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like, like this. Do you want some chicken now then? Yeah, I'll try the chicken now, sweetheart. This is really fun. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I actually I love this. What's this? Try that. I'm not sure if it's good. I'm sure it's Tuna. Tuna. Tuna steak. The tapayaki grill for me was the perfect thing. Um, it was so easy to use. It was so quick. Like, I absolutely loved it. I'll be buying one. Yeah. Absolutely. Me too. Hundred yeah. percent. Tapanaki. Come on, try again. Just call it the grill. The big grill was <laughs> was, spot on. was brilliant and big. It was very easy to yeah. use. It had one yeah, dial. I it. Oh, enjoying the Jack Johnson there. <laughs> mm. How did you guys find this? I found it very peculiar. I uh, I watched it and was quite surprised by it because it didn't feel prime time to me. It didn't feel funny enough. It's going to go out at eight thirty. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, 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 that surprised me because it felt a little bit daytime. 
and a bit so what? I think the biggest problem was it wasn't funny enough. You could see the sort of, oh, we'll get a little bit of Gogglebox in here and it's going to be really entertaining. But it didn't really entertain me. It, it was a bit interesting. It wasn't It wasn't as like the Gadget Man or Tomorrow's World or whatever. I, you didn't really care about the gadgets so much, nor did you really care about the people. And their insights weren't so profound that you were like, oh, wow, that's really something. So it, it fell between a few stools for me. And I'd be really interested to see what the audience make of this at 8.30 because it does not feel to, like a primetime show to me at all. I think what they're trying to do is, in the way that Gogglebox isn't really a show about TV, it's a show about families. I think they're trying... This isn't really a review show. I didn't really get any sense of whether I should buy a tiny electric car. You're not going to get any searing inside or, 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 or a Japanese uh, grill. I didn't... You know, that, that, that was almost like the kind of... In the same way that you don't get the sort of, you know, the stellar reviews of, of TV shows that you get on Talking TV. Gogglebox. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Gogglebox, obviously, a pale imitation of But did you TV. think, Chris, did you think it was funny? I was chuckling rather than belly. It didn't, it wasn't as funny as Gogglebox, not, 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 not even close. There were, but I, is I that because the, Gogglebox is so established now? Possibly. I thought and that, you know all the characters so well. I thought so the well. casting was okay. I thought that the, you know, the mm. four lads in the house. I, mm. well, so what's interesting could, is... You could see the potential. That's the thing. It just, it felt it didn't feel that strong as an episode now this is always a problem with comedy you need you need repetition and familiarity with comedy but so maybe maybe it will be funny by episode three and you'll be like those lads are going, oh wait, what will they do this week and you know what about that mm. kind of the Asian family who were quite cool and there was you know you can see they've, they've got the dad of the Asian dad yeah, yeah, quite Asian a bit dad of a character and it, the hand phone that yes, was funny exactly. <laughs> I, I think you know there's all this there's this thing isn't there about authenticity at the moment that everyone's chasing authenticity and there were moments in this where Either, you know, the older couple were talking to one another or the families were interacting where it did feel as though they weren't on TV and they did feel like they were talking to each other in a normal way. And that's nice. If you, The more they can mine of that, the better. But the review side of things, the gizmos, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't totally convinced on that. And it was chuckles rather than belly laughs for me. I mean, ITV needs a factual hit, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you know, Long Lost Family, I would argue, is, a, is definitely a factual hit. I mean, or maybe I should uh, re, re, rephrase that. Richard Klein, the director of factual, needs a, needs a factual hit. Well, this isn't going to be it, so uh, <laughs> you probably should just keep looking. Um, but I think one of the big problems is that people think real people are really interesting, and real people need a hell of a lot of producing. You know, Gogglebox has got something like 17 edit producers working mm-hmm. on it, and he's like, you know, there is a lot of work goes into making something look artful and throw away mm. and of course the problem with Gogglebox now is you can see the hand of the producers too much whereas on this it was as if the producers were on holiday it did feel like a bit like it had been shot by a couple of APs and put and compiled in the edit and was waiting for another pass it didn't feel produced enough it didn't feel clever enough it didn't and, and this is the problem with it with entertainment as opposed to factual you know this isn't a documentary this is supposed to entertain yeah. us it needs a bit more gloss, uh, you know, a few more layers of varnish or whatever it is that to, to make it shine. And, and, and this is the problem with, you know, oh, real people on TV. Real people on TV are just like real people in real life. Boring as hell. Do you know what I mean? You've got to really, really squeeze that, get the most extreme characters, the most extreme... So, you know, they're, they're competing with sitcoms. They're competing with entertainment shows. You know, it, people just chatting... You know, I mean, look at the Channel 4's Night Bus, things like that. They're not that interesting. They, you know, they're, So I'm a bit worried about this kind of fashion, this kind of post-Gogglebox fashion for real people talking. It'd be like having a two-hour version of this podcast. It's not that fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Big Box Little Box is made by Initial, and it debuts on Thursday the 4th of June at 8.30pm.
Uh, now we flick over to BBC One for the latest variety show to hit our screens, uh, titled The John Bishop Show. Uh, channel favourite John Bishop will handpick performers to do their thing at the Hackney Empire. Here, the comedian kicks off the night, complaining about his 20-year-old son. You know what I think should happen? I think there should be a hype bar. You know, like when you go to Disneyland and there's a hype bar, and if the kids are big enough, they can't get on the ride. I think when you and your missus have kids, you should measure each other. And then you should have a hype bar in your house. And as soon as your kids are bigger than you, they can piss off. <laughs> it's even worse now. My youngest son is now 17. So I go, what who's 20, what who's 19, what who's 17? They're all men. When they're all in our house having tea. I've never had that many men in our house since we had the loft done. Stephen, do you want to kick us off on this? Oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm in a bad mood today. But uh, No, I mean, this was good. It was good, but it was again a little bit so what? I mean, I feel like I've seen this before and it didn't quite feel as good as Sunday Night at the Palladium, the ITV version. Mm. That was in my head because obviously that's on, on air at the moment. That felt uh, like at the BBC copying ITV and I hate when that happens. So, you know, I like John Bishop. The acts individually were all quite good, but it was all a bit like, it's just exactly the same as the Palladium. And that was the sort of overriding feel that, you know, maybe maybe it's just because they're on at the same time. If it was one on in the spring, one was in the autumn, I'd have forgotten. Yeah. But it did feel a bit too samey. Chris knows I've got a, a bit of a problem with this show because you, for all the reasons you've just explained. And the fact that it's scheduled now as well when Sunday Night at the Palladium is just on. I just They've just had the Michael McIntyre show really at Easter. Odd, you know. And Britain's Got Talent Britain's as got well. Talent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that. has a bit of a variety <laughs> feel to it. I just don't understand why the BBC's doing this. I think they're trying to do, bizarrely enough, a slightly sort of indie version of a variety show. So a very, you know, mainstream channel, BBC One... Mainstream host, John Bishop. And then, you know, you've got, I mean, I don't know, Paul Weller. Paul Weller, <laughs> Paul Weller opened an <laughs> end right, of the show. So Felicity but, Ward, who yeah, I've yeah, never heard, she was, was great. So, OK, yeah. so what no, you've got, you, you had yeah. a, you had a little-known um, uh, Aussie comic, mm. female comic, quite interesting. Trevor Noah, who is very much a rising star, but for the vast majority of the BBC One audience, mm. they will not have heard of this guy. Um, and they had another comic who I thought was perf- perfectly decent. And in fact, he's yeah. so little known that I can't think what the chap's James name was. Acaster. And he was, and he was good as well. And I, mm. so, I think they're trying to do with this is take a very mainstream conceit, you know, big name comic live at a big London theatre, and then introduce acts that mm. people haven't seen. Um, and there's some value in that, but beyond that, I, I think that's a difficult thing to, to 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 achieve because, to me, I couldn't work out whether it, you know it fell a bit between the mainstream and the and the, and the sort of slightly alternative. Trevor Noah's done a pot live at the Apollo. We've seen him already, and he's about to take over the Daily Show in America. So, you know, he's 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 not that radical uh, radical anymore. The, the the woman, the Felicity, was quite unusual. But I thought it, she was excellent, and I'd ne- I, but yeah, yeah she was I mean, great. But it just felt like why am I watching another variety show? Another same, you know, there's, it's a narrow field, the variety world, especially good variety. You know, those acts are, are great, but there's only so many of them. And we're already seeing them on nearly every channel. I've certainly done without the acrobats to start. Yeah. Yes. Because, because I just thought, oh, you know, here we go again. Mm. And, and there was some stronger stuff later on in mm. the in the show. But starting with some, you know, cute young children doing backflips, that did make me think, oh, here we go again. So the way you've described it as giving new talent a platform 
that to me would have been the way to sell this show but i don't really feel like that that's coming through in the marketing that's too subtle i can i mean yeah. it's there but it's not yeah. it's not the overriding no. theme because if it what if it was you know john bishop's new variety show or something then you could you could you know you could say well it's got a, a purpose here then it should be on the bbc but if it's john bishop's palladium style variety mm. show with some of the same acts you're like oh okay so you can pass your own verdict on The John Bishop Show, which starts on Saturday the 30th of May on BBC One. And with that, it's time for the curtain to fall on this particular instalment of Talking TV. Uh, big thanks to my guests, Chris Curtis and Stephen D. Wright. Also on the roll call, of course, was Ian Coyle, Krish Majumda and Richard Yee. Uh, join us again in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV. Recorded at Maple Street Studios. 